Listen in. Thanks for doing just that. Music, music has some sort of magical, maybe mystical thing happening. That couldn't be more sucked in. I love it. You see, I want to live life better, unless I'm in some sort of funk and all I want to do is wallow. Songs, artists, musicians, lyrics, they help me in all sides of life. They're like lifts in my shoes. I walk a little taller, my shoulders are on my back. Yeah. Bring on life. Bring it completely on. So I'm full of questions and I listen in. Luckily, or hopefully, I travel with a recorder and open SM58 microphones. You've got questions? You've got questions. I've got more. I'm Frank Jenks. I began listening with a syndicated radio program, interspersing conversation pieces with songs and subject matter. And now, I just want to offer this fullness, the greatness, the insight directly from rock stars to you this way. Every time I meet another person who likes to golf, it just seems like we connect faster. I hope Drew Holcomb and I hit the links someday. We definitely drove it down the center on a bunch of his songs and other important topics in this conversation. And Drew has such a a casual way of confronting stuff that he's obviously done a a thorough going through. And I I would say he's waxing poetic with his lyrics, with his words. Though I'm pretty sure he'd never say that about himself. Ah, yeah, that's it. That's what I love about Drew, his humility. Yeah, that is totally it. Never a moment when he seemed put off. Yeah, I hope we, I hope we tee it up. This was recorded via Skype on June 7th, 2013, between Michigan and Tennessee. But it felt like we were in a cart together. So I, I want to start off with... Uh, off the Good Light record, off your last record, right? And I just love Another Man's Shoes, and and I, I guess it's been an interesting journey for me to learn how to appreciate the journey and learn that other people might might be might be struggling at the same at a whole different place, but struggling at the same time. Yeah, this this record for for me was uh, definitely has a lot of themes of of. Uh, kind of I guess maturity I guess is hope, hopefully or the the process of trying to grow up you know um, <laughs> the process of trying to grow up nice yeah it's true uh, and so another man's shoes the, the lead off track is 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 one of those songs that you know it kind of takes this simple like kind of you know walk a mile in another man's shoes is kind of one of those like old maxims that you hear kind of like a like a wisdom thing like Aesop fable yeah. fable or something but uh you know for me i found that you know you never know about what somebody's going through when you encounter them um you know whether whether that's good whether, whether what they're going through is a good thing or a bad thing or or generally speaking most people are going through both at the same time you know uh <laughs> yeah you know, while you know, it's it's a good example. Like I just have a friend who I, you know, is probably one of the most successful guys I know. He's thirty four years old. He's really hit a stride professionally. He's got a great wife and great kids, and he just got diagnosed with cancer. And you know, you, you just on the on the surface, you think you know somebody's what what they're going through. And it's easy to think about people in kind of one dimensional ways based on 
you know, the way they speak or where they come from or what they wear or the kind of the things they spend their time doing. And, uh, you know, and there's a million ways that we can, they were different than each other. And so you can either be the kind of person who, yeah. you know, then uses that as a way to judge and, um, kind of isolate yourself and surround yourself with people who are only kind of fit the mold of what you think is, you know, the way to live, or you can kind of embrace the diversity of, uh, of how everybody can be so different and yet can, you know, try to imagine where, where, where somebody else is coming from before you make any kind of judgment about who they are. And it's hard for me cause I'm, I'm a little bit of a, of a like impatient, cynical at times person so for me in some ways the song is not it's not me like pointing fingers from a from a, um, a podium to my audience it's 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 kind of me looking in the mirror hey man walk a mile in somebody else's shoes before you right right you know you know yeah but there there's still i get i just you know those are the times when i can step outside i mean when i can't step outside myself it's almost like i have to slap myself around internally to go okay dude you got, you got to get some perspective because other people, there's other people around you, if nothing else, you know. Right, right. But how do you? I mean, it's how do you deal with your friend having, like, being diagnosed with cancer? Because that's a whole nother set of shoes. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, somebody had a bad day at work. Somebody had, you know, uh, their wife's driving them crazy, or their girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. But that's a, you know, that's a whole nother set of you know everyone's got their own struggles yeah. you know it's a huge that's yeah I, th I think for me that that like you know we obviously don't know what it's like to experience life from somebody else's point of view but i think just the idea that um you know that you have some type of compassion and and, and sympathy for uh or empathy for really is probably the best word empathy for what else someone else is going through yeah i know that yeah, kind of the hardest thing I ever walked through was when I was um, in high school. I had my I had a younger brother who passed away, and um, the 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 people that I felt like understood didn't understand, but the people I, l I enjoyed the most or that served me the most in that time were not the people who came up and said, "Oh man, you know he's in a better place," or like, you know, "How you doing?" You know, just like all this like people just. It, a, because I think it's just awkward when somebody's going through suffering to know how to engage that. But really, the people who I yeah. who served me the best were the ones who just said, "Hey, man, I'm here for you. Why don't we go fishing or something? You know, and just and just go mm. be together and not talk. Or if I wanted to talk, then I would bring it up at my own in my own pace. You know. And I think for me, that was like I learned at a young age because I had a few friends who did that well, and then I had a few friends who did that really poorly, and so. You know, uh, and that was something. You know, I was seventeen, so I was like the only one in my high school who was walking through something that, that was kind of at that level. And so I kind of yeah. saw firsthand what uh, what good empathy could be like. So yeah, obviously, if, if somebody's walking through something super intense like cancer, or, you know, who knows? There's lots of things that hopefully we'll never go through. You know, like you know. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah. So is it so is it really about giving grace yeah, yeah yeah definitely i think grace is definitely the right word for that just giving yeah giving people space to work out the the trials that they're in you know yeah and and, and not not coming in and taking over and or standing at a distance and judging you know kind of yeah 
yeah, giving people giving people a minute to to work through it. Yeah, that's it, it's interesting. I'm just thinking out loud. Is 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 grace something we learn? <laughs> you know what I mean? Is it? Yeah. It, it seems like so. You know how you meet somebody and it feels like God, they're just full of grace for just full of grace. And I just don't know. Did they learn it, or is it something that just sort of came to them? somehow you know i don't know yeah i mean yeah i don't know that's that's weird it is weird i feel like there's like such a great balance of like you know grace and justice like i think sometimes i think they work together you know i think i think sometimes like people think of grace as like a the idea that oh you just got to let it pass you know just give that person grace and i think sometimes grace is telling somebody like is more about like the tone and the uh the approach than it is necessarily about the content, you know. Like if yeah. you go to somebody and say, "Hey, man, you really messed up. You really, you know." But I'm here for you. That's different than going to them and going, "Hey, you messed up, and you're right. a terrible person." You know. Right. So yeah, I don't know. That's a great. That's a great thought. I don't know whether it's learned or not. Hopefully, it is, <laughs> so we can all participate. You know. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, then then I'm just going to jump into the lyric. We're all stumbling through the darkness because I think that's what we're doing, whether we're, whatever's whatever's going on, and that's going into the song, the title track, Good Light. Yeah. And, may, and maybe that's part of it, too, is, is under, understanding that we're all stumbling through, you know? And that's part of grace, you know? You yeah, know? Well, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, grace flows out of recognition of your own limitation, you know, your own failure, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you kind of look at somebody else's, screwing up and you go yeah i know what that's like <laughs> you know yeah. uh because i think stumbling through the darkness yeah once you once we realize that you know we're all just doing the best we can with with uh you know with all the curveballs that life can throw us yeah you know so is so is here's a good light shining on you or shining in you um sorry about that no. is, is is so is this a big spiritual song for you no it's not really uh I mean, it's hard for me to differentiate what's like you know spiritual or not because in some ways, I mean, when I wrote that lyric, what I was just thinking of was it's similar to another man's shoes. I mean, it's kind of part part B. Yeah, uh, yeah. that's that's how I'm looking. Uh, when I wrote that chorus, I actually was thinking about at the time my unborn daughter, just like thinking about you know when the the really difficult frustrating disappointing things in life come her way which are unavoidable uh you know i just want her to know that you know there's something good in you um and the, i think they're really the tag of that chorus is the is the is the thesis uh, if, if it's if the, if the song is an essay it's and i need it tonight like yeah we need each other you know you can't can't struggle through alone if you do you can struggle through alone but but it won't it won't it won't go so well for you you know (laughs) (laughs) uh so yeah i think i think that 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 chorus is just like um a reminder to someone who's, who's walking through the walking through the shit that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and part of the light at the end of the tunnel is the fact that I need that person, you mm-hmm. know. You you need those those people in your life that recognize who you really are and um 
you know, because the, the courses are kind of about this, like, kind of one-dimensional pursuits, wasted time, wasted money, you know, kind of spending your time searching for things that are, you know, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was pretty insightful to say, you know, spend your whole life fighting for a guarantee. I thought that was so insightful because I... I, I don't really think of it that way, but when I stop, I go, you know what? That's really what I'm looking for, something that is sure. Yeah. So many times in my life, I, I never thought of it that way. It's so interesting because I, I spend a lot of time, me, I, I'll, I'll take a lot of coffee meetings with like guys guys and girls who want to be musicians, you know, and they're 18 to 24 years old. And, man, all of them just want me to tell them that if they do X, then Y will happen. Right, yeah. You know, and what I, what I kind of have to tell them is like, that's just not going to happen. Like you cannot guarantee that any um, specific thing is going to happen based on your actions, you know. And it's like it, it kind of wraps. That's really the, the the theme of the whole record. I mean, wrap on the last song tomorrow. You know, nothing ever turns out like you thought it would. Um, spare me some patience if you could. I, that that was inspired by the, by Conan's last Tonight Show. Mm. You know, where he he was only on there for seven months, and he. Um, you know kind of got screwed over by nbc and yeah uh he got on there and he said look i have legal rights to say whatever i want here you know i'm seriously i can say whatever i want he said so but i'm not going to try to be funny i want to say something to all the young people and he said if there's one trait that i can i despise it's cynicism you know and he said um nothing he said he said nothing in nothing in your life will go exactly as you plan but if you work hard and you're kind to people, amazing things will happen to you. And I just thought that was like such, like whenever I meet with your musicians, I'm like, just go watch that. Like, that's the truth. You know, uh, you, can I can, can I promise you that if you, if you, you know, get to go on tour with your favorite artist, that that means you're gonna have the best career of your life and you're gonna be the, like that artist? Of course not. It's right. like, you know, can I promise you that if, if so-and-so comes to your show, and they're a great producer or manager that also they're going to want to work with you. Come on, give me a break. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's so funny. Like so many of our, I think even even knowing that you still you still fight it. You, you're like, oh man, I'm 31. I wonder what 35 is going to look like. Right. You know. Right. I wonder what 40 is going to look like. I wonder what, you know. Right. Every decision is is about that idea of wanting to know what's next and wanting to be sure. And you can't. It's impossible. It's part of the fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, you, and again, you just sort of have to embrace that, don't you? You have to embrace, yeah. quote unquote, the fun of it. You know. Yeah. And yeah. and there is a beauty to the unknown. I mean, and I and, and it's funny because I it's it's just amazing how many times that I am searching for something certain, and yet I can say out loud, I don't want to know what's coming next because I just want to experience it. But here I am <laughs> spending my time trying to find certainty. It's like ah, Frank. Yep. Frank. You can't I don't think anybody ever gets away from it all the way. Yeah, right. But it's just interesting that you quoted from the book of Book of Conan, chapter yeah. three, verse four. <laughs> That's right. It's a good it's a good book. Well it, what's amazing to me too is that we can find um words of wisdom, if not inspiration, in so many different places, right? Yeah. It's the end of the you know well, the tonight you, show run for Conan. Yeah, I think you know truth when it hits you in the face. You're like, oh, that's that's true he just spoke some serious truth you know yeah i think that that's the cool thing about music too i think that one of the reasons i like songs so much is i feel like uh what music's like main 
music's main possibility is that it can tell you the truth about something that you knew but couldn't articulate, you know? Or it makes you feel something that you can't articulate but it means something and, and so I I love that about like finding something in Conan because you can do the same thing with a <coughs> with a song you know and you may not it may not ever have been the uh, the writer's intention and that's one of the great things about art is that once it appears in the public space then it's suffered it's up for grabs you know as far as the way it can be can be used or you know within certain within certain parameters so can you speak better truth through the songs that you write and sing than you can when we're sitting and having a cup of coffee? I don't know if I can speak better truth through songs I sing. I think I can speak more subtle truth mm. or I think I can speak in a way that is uh, goes down easier. Mm. You know? Spoonful of sugar. Yeah, that's right. Good melody can get you get you get you a lot further than just a yeah. word strung together. Yeah, right. Uh, here's here's words strung together that I thought were great and can't take it with you. Is it possible to be happy and be human? Certainly, but not without the pain. <laughs> yeah. Wow, man. So, yeah. <laughs> shoving some sho shoving some truth down into my soul right now. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's kind of goes back to what what we were just talking about, you know. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think for for me, that like the twenties are just this period of, uh, especially professionally, you know. I feel like the twenties can be very, very uh, disconcerting, uh, dis disappointing. You know, you you think, I think everybody, at least for me, I, I graduated college kind of on a normal on a normal schedule and so I had most of my 20s to try to figure out the career thing and man it just felt like a, it just felt like just work and like a hustle for most of it you know and I'm doing this like dream job and it didn't feel like I was living in any kind of dream yeah. reality it felt more just like a slog you know <laughs> and watching friends you know progressively have like much better incomes than me in the later 20s who've been putting in the same amount of time right. and going why did I pick this stupid industry? You know, <laughs> uh, and, but then you know it starts to pay off, and so, and it, uh, not necessarily literally, but figuratively. And um, you know, I think if I had like one kind of thing I learned young that really hit me and stuck with me was again not not to get too heavy, but I mean I I, I kind of feel like it, one of the things that I'd like to do speak candidly about about death just because I've experienced it and it's, it's something that our culture doesn't do very well so when my brother when my brother passed away um, the, the the minister um, his eulogy was just absolutely unbelievable and he ended it with you know so my brother had spina bifida went through 26 major surgeries wow you know just really experienced quite a quite a bit of, of, of suffering but he was also probably at any at any point the most like joyful person in the room and just very others oriented and and really a spectacular human and um so he said the pastor said he actually addressed the eulogy to my other sister and my other brother and i three living siblings and um who at the time we were 
uh, 18, 17, and 12. And, you know, sitting on the front row in front of 1,600 people. And he says, you know, ask your mom. He said, he said, if you had asked your mom and dad 14 years ago when Jay was in the womb, if having a kid who had who was in a wheelchair, who wouldn't be able to walk, who would have to be have his diaper changed, who would continuously be in and out of doctor's office, ask them if that is a burden they would want to carry. The answer is, of course, they would say no. That is not something we can handle. And then he said, ask them now. Wow. You know? Wow. That is heavy, isn't it? Yeah, so heavy, but also so good, because it's kind of that thing of, like, you know, you're walking through hell, and you you think you can't take it anymore, and then looking back, and you say, that's the actually the, the, the one thing that defines my, my life, you know? You, if you ask my dad, if you ask my dad what what defines his life, he would say I would probably being a father, but especially being the father of and, and losing my you know my son, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, and my parents are are these like super. I mean, if if you could if you could define a happy fifty eight year old, if you could if you could write up a definition for happy fifty eight year olds, my parents would fit in the box, you know. So, you know, honestly, I wish. I wish everybody could say that about their mom or dad. Yeah, I, I do too. That's pretty huge. Yeah, as I as I always say, um, family wise, I was uh, not necessarily financially, but family wise, I was born on third base. You know. Mm. So. And 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 did they have? Could they say that about their parents? You think? Uh, my mom could definitely say that about her parents. Uh, yeah. n- no, on the on my father's side. Yeah. And, uh, but he, but he found it, and maybe through your mom, if not, just because that's what was inside of him too. If if I can go back to, well, he, there's he a good has, light shining in he you. He has you some know. of that, like he has some of that memory with uh, peripheral family, like his great, his uncle, my great uncle, oh. uh, mm-hmm. my grandmother's um, brother. Uh, he spent the summers in uh, North Carolina with his grandmother, and um, spent most days with that uncle who had this old Jeep and was a farmer and wow you know like there was certainly like a richness of childhood there just it looked a little yeah. it looked a little different in there and so um i think he he it, it wasn't on like some kind of island you know i think it's right within within the realities of family like the experience is always on some kind of like spectrum you know mm-hmm. it's not like you either have good ones or you have bad ones you can have like well, my experience with my parents wasn't great, but I had this uncle and my grandfather and, you know. You know, many, you know how many rock stars that I've talked to that they've written so many songs to their parents because, you know, it was just crap growing up to them, according to them, you know? I mean, yeah. it's just amazing how much... That's why I always think how much influence parenting has. I mean, now with Amy Lou for you, you it, it's hard to think of it every day, but later on in life, she'll be doing some sort of talk with somebody telling her about well, my dad was this and that, and honestly, if she comes even halfway close to what you just said about your folks, then you, <laughs> then you win, man. Seriously, well, I, you win. I, because I, uh, I'm afraid my kids are going to end up in counseling. <laughs> you know, I have a good friend, and he said uh, he's he said instead of saving up for college, he's saving up for counseling for his kids <laughs> for all the ways he's, he knows he's going to screw them up. I mean, my parents are by no means perfect. I know, you know? I know, but still, and they I, they would they would be embarrassed to to that I didn't say that. You know, to make, they would they would want to make sure that that was said, but. Uh, but but to have that general general feeling about them is such a good thing. 
Hey, the the wine we drink is another song off the new record that I just questioned. Is that is that to your wife or to God? That's actually to my wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 just uh, one of those. It's a song about you know, uh, seven years looking in, realizing that the things that you actually fall in love with about each other are the are the the, the kind of find a joy in the mundane, you know, and then. You know, the first verse. You know, I have a tendency to laugh at all the wrong moments and forget the words of my own songs. Just kind of, you have these intimate things you have that that are kind of places where you feel you only feel understood by your spouse. You know, mm-hmm. and and uh, and yeah, it's it's really a, it's kind of a simple song, but it's a very like it's a very intense song for us in in a great way. Just like a really felt like that song helped me explain my love for Ellie to, to even to her in a way that I had never been able to kind of articulate before. So, and people love that song live, you know, kind of strip, strip it down for a second and play that song. And people really like it. Can I ask you a husband question? Sure. Is it hard to work with your wife all the time? Yeah, definitely. We have, we have our moments. Um, I'd say it's, it's mostly agreeable, but mainly because of Ellie's personality is very agreeable. You know, uh, but yeah, we, you know, it's interesting. We've kind of over the years figured out kind of our, our different roles and, and have gotten pretty comfortable in those, in those roles. I mean, you know, Ellie's role in our band is really more of a, a band member. She doesn't have to think, she's not re- responsible to think about the career or the business side of it all the time like I am. You know, I'm really the only, I'm really the only like full time, full, you know, employee of the, of the enterprise, you know. Oh, okay. Where I have to spend all my time thinking about it. She's works on other stuff. She writes songs to other people for other projects. She's working on her own follow up project to her EP that she did a few years ago. So we give each we try to give each other plenty of space. I think I think the time where we're working together the most is probably you know on the road. You know where we're just constant. So yeah, it has its challenges, but generally speaking, we we found a really great a great rhythm with it. You know, that's cool. I mean, and, and if you can write a song and think thoughts like "What would I do without you?" and the lyrics that are in there, then something good is happening between you guys. Yeah, yeah, and that song's interesting too because it definitely I wrote it with Ellie in mind, but it's turned into something more than that. I've heard a lot of, like for instance, my my uh, uh, I have a cousin who heard it and said it reminded him of his dad, you know, um, kind of as he was walking through some some tough stuff and. You know, people I think in, internalize that song as more than just a love song. You know, because it yeah. it's it can be about. You could probably use it in a variety of relationships. So yeah, for me, that's definitely the place it came out of. So. Well, I mean, yeah, just friendship or parents or whatever, because it's just a relationship with somebody else that's significant, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess that's the magic of music too, right? Is when you can write it with, with this thought in mind and. I can take it to wherever my place is in the world. Yeah, yeah. You know, absolutely. Because there's something there's something similar happening between in the same parts of our hearts. I think when you're writing it and I'm hearing it, that's where I, that's where I think it connects. I'm not sure, not totally sure about that. Maybe maybe you've found. I'm sure you've had people walk up to you going, "Oh, I love this because of blah blah blah," and you go, "Thank you." But you're shaking your head, going, "That is nowhere near what I was writing." About. You know, what's interesting. I used to do that, and then I read this article. Um, uh, by Lee Singer Wilco, Jeff Tweedy. Oh yeah, love him. Um, talking about how, like he, you know, once you 
if that happens with a song, either it's va- it's vague enough to where you don't you can't tell people how to interpret it, or you didn't do the, do the job you thought you did writing it. Ooh, wow! You Back know? to heavy thoughts. Yeah, for you. Yeah, so which you know I kind of feel like I, I like to I like to have some vagueness in my song. So I kind of if somebody does that for me, I kind of go well. That's all right. That's part of part of making art. You know, somebody says. Oh, that's a big tomato, and somebody says, "Oh, it's a big red balloon." Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. <laughs> it's a big red something. You know, <laughs> and it's pleasing to the eye. Yeah, yeah. I love the first uh, words in rooftops, which I'm thinking is another song to your wife. Yeah, actually, interestingly enough, uh, Nathan wrote a lot of the wrote the verses to mm. that, so it's probably about his fiance. But mm. you know, um, but also therefore, you know, about Ellie too, from sure. my perspective. Yeah. I guess I'm always intrigued when there's something about television or TV in a song because I probably watch too much of it and I get pissed about watching too much of it and I get pissed about what's coming through it and yeah. and we all believe it and blah, blah, blah. But I don't watch a lot of TV, but I think I know what's good. I thought it was a great opener, so tell him that. Yeah, I will. I will. I think it's, it's interesting. Like I feel like we're kind of in the golden age of, of, of good storytelling on TV, you know, uh, as film has kind of become all about just the big blockbusters and yep. you know TV's become a medium where you can do long form storytelling and so uh, you know it is it is interesting so many conversations are about what shows you watch and whether or not like it's kind of a <laughs> cultural barometer of how interesting someone is you know like what do you, what, what do you watch so you like Mad Men oh then you are cool yeah yeah so yeah yeah, it's funny. I just read an article about how um, TV has gotten so much better because so many people were going to the movies in the 90s. So the executives in TV just said they had to they had to make better product to keep eyeballs on television, which probably is happening opposite right now. There's movie executives going, we need to get people away from episodic TV or whatever type of TV, if not reality TV, and we've got to make them want to spend their time in a movie theater or at least in front of our... Uh, our Netflix DVD or whatever, you know. Yeah, in front of our 3D explosions. Yeah, and I wonder yeah. about. I started to wonder about the same thing about music because you know the music business is in such a funky spot. But it's like everybody's throwing their hands up, going, "Yeah, it's in a stupid spot. What are we going to do?" And I'm thinking, if somebody could make a unbelievable, fantastic masterpiece, then would it make noise? I mean, you know, business noise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's what happened with. I think that's what happened with the Adele yeah. record. You know, all of a sudden, everybody went, "Wow, this is a perfect record. I have to have this record. It's the perfect combination of a great song, a great voice, emotional delivery, and the appropriate production. And I mean, lightning in a bottle. You know, like she may, she may never, she doesn't need to make another record ever. Yeah. She did. She, she that record is just like so good and I think there you know there are records that come out that that are like that and it's like any I think any kind of field it's like the good stuff doesn't always rise all the way to the top but the good stuff always finds a a, a home yeah you know and lasts it, it's a really saturated marketplace for sure but if you can stay in there and really work work at it and and you know I always say so it's, it's, there's never been a worse time to make a killing in the music business, <laughs> but there's never been a better time to make a living. You know because the access to get your music, you know, I mean, 
think about it. Fifteen years ago, if you wanted people all over the country to hear your record, you had to print up fifteen thousand copies and ship them all over the country. Right. And now you can just put the digital files on TuneCore through, put get it up on iTunes, and you have national distribution. And it costs you forty bucks. Right. You know, I mean, it's a good. There's a lot of good things about what's going on right now. I, I think that you know, there's also some frustrating realities, but uh, it's you know, you have to really f- figure out how to make make people loyal to what you do and it's difficult can i ask you um you you said you're the full-time employee right yeah and your in your mind is always going with that so how how does how does a musician an artist make a living now and i'm i'm asking kind of specific questions like do you have to make it on touring and that's the way you know you can make it or you have to sell x amount of digital copies or CDs or merch or get songs licensed in television shows or on commercials. I mean, yeah. when you're when you're sitting there going, okay, I'm writing a song, I hope this connects with the audience. I hope this gets on a commercial. I mean, because when you get on a commercial, you make whatever, $10,000 or $100,000. I have no idea what the numbers are. But, but how do you think about that kind of stuff? Because there's got to be so many different various or so many different revenue streams. Yeah. I don't know how you can balance them all in your head as a businessman. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I guess you kind of after a while you kind of realize what the what the four or five rep, you know revenue streams are, and then you have to figure out how to um, how they're related to each other. Like if you if you quit touring, you know, like so our you know revenue off of our album uh, goes up significantly while we're touring because we sell more records. You know, because more people are being exposed to the music, and people go home from the show, go to iTunes, and um, and then you've got so so really for us, I mean, I just just simp- to keep it simple, it's touring, merch. So touring, merch, um, like sync, which is like getting a song on on a TV show. Yep, mm-hmm. synchronization. Um, are you, are you giving these these in the order of priority in your head? Pretty much. No, let's see. If, if if they're in order of priority, it's touring, um, digital revenue from online the online marketplaces like mm-hmm. I, iTunes, Amazon, etc. Um, uh, merch, um, sync, mm-hmm. and then there's like a very a couple of ancillary ones that kind of fit in different categories. Like we're part of this thing called the Music Bed, where videographers, you know, go and license your song for wedding videos and that's kind of in sync world but it's it's not necessarily a tv show um right you know but uh, touring is definitely for us is is the driver of the whole thing you know because even on the even on the um on the digital uh kind of sales side of things you know the cost of making a record is still pretty expensive especially if you're if you're marketing it and right yeah um yeah, but I, honestly, for for me, I really like that side of the business. I have a great manager who you know handles a lot of that stuff, but I still do all the kind of the hands-on, writing the checks, paying paying the bills, you know, um, awesome. you know, and and the expense of touring. You have to think about like you know you've got seven people in a van. Uh, everybody's got to eat. Everybody's got to have a bed to sleep in. And everybody's got to get paid every day, and so you have, you know, you have your your daily nut. That varies depending on, you know, mm-hmm. kind of how you choose to attack all those different 
you know line items and mm-hmm. uh, and then you got to make the money work or sometimes if it doesn't work you got to figure out if the merch will cover the difference and mm-hmm. um, you know if you take a tour opening for somebody you're usually you know you're gonna lose money it's just a matter of how much you know um, really yeah you'll take, but you'll take that for a long-term um, yeah if you, like you know take let's take the need to breathe tour for instance um, you know, we, we did sell a lot of merch, and so we got close to breaking even, but not 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 all the way there. Um, but let's take Boston first. We've we've only played in Boston one time, and we mm-hmm. and we probably had maybe thirty people show up, and Good. so that night when we headlined, we lost lots of money, right? You know, because my guys are get paid regardless yeah. of who shows up, um, and the hotels don't don't. Yeah. For some reason, for some reason, when you tell them only thirty people came to your show, they still make you pay for your room. Um, uh, so, so then we, so this time with Need to Breathe, we went in and played in front of you know two thousand people at the House of Blues, right? And had a, and had a great reaction. And so now we'll go back to, to Boston in the fall, and we'll probably sell you know two hundred fifty, three hundred fifty tickets. So it, it it opens up new markets for you, and so it's you know it's like any business you gotta you gotta spend money on your infrastructure to 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 create future sources of revenue and yeah. you know always trying to be creative about that. And the great thing about where we're coming from is that we do own all all of our uh, our records outright, yeah. and you know we have some royalties we have to pay out to different people, songwriters and producers. But I mean, since I write all the songs alone. It, kind of you know yeah there's not a lot of that going on on this record at least so there's you know i just read an article in billboard about a a a woman who is in la who doesn't tour at all all she does is write songs for tv and film and puts them up on itunes you know and she makes a decent living Mm -hmm. you know um you know for us i got into this because i like touring i like performing on stage well i shouldn't say i like touring i like performing Mm -hmm. i like i like Performing in different places to different crowds. There's just a different dynamic. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, it's a living organism. The whole show just feels like a different thing every night. So I got into it for that reason. So I don't, I don't foresee any any way that I would, at, the, at least at this point in my life, where I would back off of touring to a point where it wasn't the primary. Yeah. You know, it, it's not necessarily the primary source of profit, <laughs> but it's the primary source of revenue. You know, the expenses are the the, the cash flow can be good, but the expenses can also be really high. So, but it also just, sounds like the primary primary source of feeling like you're yeah of joy doing something yeah. and 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 having meaning and joy and all that stuff. You know, absolutely. Which you know, when you were talking about success earlier about your friends make you know. <laughs> being quote unquote more successful than you I always wonder that because that's what so many people ask me well are you successful and I know they're just asking me if I'm making a bunch of money they're not really asking <laughs> yeah. me if I'm enjoying what I'm doing you know? right well these are some of my buddies who are in the golf world when I told them I got to play some of these courses on this tour yeah that the, the success um, barometer yes. took made a turn you know even though I didn't I'm not a, you know I'm not paying to play those places I got invited but right well, it's it's too bad when you got out of college, you didn't become a DJ and start doing EDM because, man, oh my gosh. is that serious? I mean, I never saw that coming. I don't. Me neither. I just, I always thought there'd be people playing instruments on stage and like you, like you guys, right? I mean, I just figured there'd be this jamming thing going on and this human interconnection. And not that there isn't connection going on, but it's just like, 
I just never saw it coming that it would be that huge. And it's it's and it's not that I don't enjoy it. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah, it's just such a, it's just such a it's a surprise yeah. for sure. Yeah. I think the best gig in in the touring world is being a comedian. You show up with one microphone and one monitor. The only thing hard about that is you have to be funny. You have to be funny and uh, not drink yourself to death. Right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a great uh, I just watched I think it's like 95 miles to there or here or something like that. But it's the Ray Romano thing behind it's it's on netflix so you can stream it it's really easy but uh yeah, he's funny you know just three guys in a van you know and the, and the third guy is the guy doing the documentary yeah right it's just the two and this is after his show after the tv show was huge for him so relatively speaking yeah he can afford it you know what i mean yeah and yet they're just driving in a van making it work it's fun yeah yeah i don't i don't although i gotta tell you we're all messed up a little bit but comedians man they find a they find it. They find a different way to exist in this world because they're yeah, they're screwed up sometimes. That's yeah. all I can say. Yeah, another great documentary is the one with Conan. You should watch that after it's right yeah. after. Have no. you watched that one yet? I wrote that down. Oh, that's great. So enough documentary thing. Can I go through a few more songs? Because yeah, I guess at the end of the day, the songs have to. Uh, have to be there otherwise the touring doesn't happen and merch doesn't oh, yeah. happen and all the stuff you just yeah talked if you about, don't have right? the songs then the whole thing the whole thing is, yeah. is fruitless right uh, I wanted I want to dive into a few songs off of the um, off of the earlier records chasing chasing someday okay uh, live forever I love the first verse in that laughing is the only thing that'll keep you sane in this world that's dying more and more every day just about how the world's so chaotic and you still got to figure out a way to live yeah yeah fully yeah well that's that's uh that's going back to my friend that i had coffee with him yesterday and I, I i said i don't know how to pray for you man you know what you're walking through is more than i can act like i have anything but i just pray that you keep your sense of humor you know yeah. and uh and that's the whole thing because i think that yeah i you know finding finding you know Finding the courage when the road is long to quote a lyric yeah. that I just uh, <laughs> yeah. pulled out of a song from I don't know live forever. Some guy wrote that I don't know, uh, but you know being able to make light of the irony, you know, mm. of life and be okay with that paradox is is to me what usually good humor is based about, and to be able to kind of have a good laugh mm-hmm. in, in light of the the world crumbling around you, whether that's literal or metaphorical, you know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, that that that's a uh, that song is is cool because it's it's one I wrote really quickly as a kind of a song for my nieces and nephews, and it's become by by a long shot our most popular song. It's kind of become our anthem, and our fans love it. And uh, you know, that was a song with me and the guitar in the living room, just yeah. three chords, and trying to tell them how much I care about them. Yeah, turned into this this whole other thing. In, in is miracle around the same sort of idea of just appreciating life? Uh, miracle was written about my childhood home, um, and 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 all of the life surrounding that. Mm. Uh, yeah, so cool. red door, blue jeans, lights on in the backyard. Yeah, um, fireflies dance. I remember the summertime as a kid. And when I say childhood, I mean like nine, ten years old, real, real, actual child, not like middle schooler. Yeah. And uh, just like, I don't have a lot of memories, like particular memories of childhood, like as far as like I don't remember what my perception of life was. Mm-hmm. 
you know what I mean? Because you don't have one really at that point. But I just remember like some, I've just a B-roll of scenes from my entire childhood that kind of ran through my head, and that's kind of what that song was referencing to. There's not necessarily a theme, just just uh, yeah, just. You know, there's a line that I was going to ask you about, but now it makes sense to me, m way more sense, is I still miss the scent of my imagination. Yeah. Yeah, just looking back and knowing how innocent we were and full of wonder and hope and, yeah, man. Uh, memories, visions, and dreams, to yeah. continue the lyric, I yeah. guess, right? But, yeah, that's such a cool, it's a cool idea to look back. Do you think when you were that age that you were th thinking life was awesome was a miracle man in the summertime you are you know right, yeah when school's out you're right right you're out of school you're you know riding your bike around the neighborhood my my dad got us a go-kart and even though we were like nine years old we dressed go-kart all over the, sweet all over the i'm so jealous you guys had a go-kart yeah it was a good time i flipped it many times don't you worry yeah right got, got a lot of trouble with that thing but you know i think for the most part i did think that it was good I think that there's something that happens like you know whenever it happens for some people maybe it's 12 for some people maybe maybe it's you know later in their teens where all of a sudden like you know you realize your capacity for love and pains and you know whether it's like a girlfriend or whatever it can be any, you know right I feel like the first time anybody really hurts except for the you know people that walk through really horrible things but yeah the majority of people I think the first time they really hurt is when they like lose that first love you know uh, I remember for me it was in the 6th grade it was a girl man I had I had had it for so bad and she just would she just never gave me the time of day and uh, I remember thinking like man this sucks <laughs> <laughs> looking back on it it's kind of silly but I think it's kind of a it's kind of like life prepares you slowly for the for for what what's coming at you, um, but yeah, I think you know that song really. I remember seeing it and thinking about my my brother who's living, Sam, who who is really I'm really close to the one that just came home from R Rwanda. Mm -hmm. I was telling you telling you about, and that song I really wrote thinking about him. Like, hey man, remember what it, what it was like? And he was five years younger than me, so man, when we were kids, like. He was basically my shadow. Yeah, it's you know? big. Yeah, big age difference, to, really. At that age, anyway. Yeah, but literally, he shadowed me. Like mm -hmm. you know, everywhere I went, he went to the point of when you're like twelve, you're like, quit following me, yeah, right? <laughs> you know, probably caused him to need to go to counseling for that or whatever. But um, so yeah, that that song is is definitely kind of that's the it's it's a nostalgia for for youth, for my own youth particularly yeah just i'm i'm feeling it right now i'm feeling my my parents bought me a mini bike and i remember literally i grew up in the country and i would go play like in the dump area where it was just an old pond mm -hmm. you know and honestly i'd spend six hours over there by myself i don't even know what i was doing yeah but somehow this i was, was so i think of it right now with just this thoughts of this song right yeah now. that's yeah. cool good that's what i that's what i was that was my intention yeah yeah uh the song i love the song your love because i guess there's always always a part of me inside that's still looking to be found yeah and here i think you're kind of feeling found and figuring out that 
love will actually save you. Yeah, that's that's one that Ellie wrote. You know, pretty much 100% on her own. So I, you can only speak about it to 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 a degree, but right. um, yeah, like I think the idea of you know when you finally feel found, and I, I think for her that song, you know, could be a love song, but I think for her she wrote it kind of in a, thinking about. Um, relationship with God and uh, you know that idea when you are feel found is there's such a freedom and a and a and a relief associated you know what I mean uh, yeah well I'm fighting just to breathe here and I'm choking on doubt tell her thank you yeah I will you'll 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 really like what she's up to when it when it's when it comes out it's pretty it's pretty powerful and thoughtful stuff. Well, keep her on the payroll. Keep yep. her on the payroll. <laughs> Hourglass, I thought, was kind of going down the road of trying not to waste waste life. Yeah, that's kind of a, you know, um, all is vanity kind of song. There's That song that was not meant to... The song was kind of written in a place of like, man, everything that's come to pass is standing inside the hourglass. The idea that you can try whatever you want. You can have as much success or failure and you're not, you know, sometimes it just feels like satisfaction is not ever possible, you know? Yeah. And my experience tells me that that feeling is one that creeps up often, no matter, no matter where, no matter where you, 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 you know, where things go. So wrote wrote that song with a good friend of mine. We were just having a pretty candid conversation about, you know how things just don't go your way or or you think they don't go your way and and what that kind of does to your you know I think one of the one of the hard things about like adulthood is basically like you're you're somehow like called to dream and and dream big even though you know it's not going to come true like you like you imagine it right it may it may come true in some way but really like you know, adulthood is just about dealing with dealing with disappointment while also kind of try, giving it another try, you know, over and over and over again. Well, if all the messages that I see, especially through marketing and advertising, is you won't be fulfilled until you buy this product, and then once I buy the product, it turns out my life isn't fulfilled. <laughs> it's just sort of a yeah. just sort of a cyclical thing. And if I can, and I, and it's easy to get caught in that sort of wheel of unsatisfaction you know Dis- dissatisfaction yeah. is probably the yeah. correct word although to make to make a joke out of it i did have one guy who said um pretty funny he said uh you know um i know money doesn't make you happy but i'd like to give it a try <laughs> <laughs> right man so, anyways, and I'm still chasing it right now. I'm still chasing it right now. I want to. I want to get to a place where, if we can, I, I have the right friends to golf at Marion, right? Yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, and and in my head, it would take some sort of financial success. Yeah, true or not true? Not sure. You know, I mean, either that or we both have to get on the get on the the Hooters tour and then on to the, whatever the next tour is. Yeah, I was going to say I was going to say we got to we got to win the uh US Amateur. <laughs> we got to qualify actually. We got to go through qualification next year you and me. Yeah. I'll I'll caddy for you next year, dude. All right, sounds good. We'll figure it out. We'll get there sooner or later. Uh hey, a couple more songs and then uh 
let's get on with our our lives off right. of a million miles away yep uh let's talk about the song mercy yeah i uh i thought it was about faith and stuff like that but i guess almost trying to make sense of it if that can be if sense can be made of that sort of weird part of our lives yeah that song that song is definitely written i wrote that one alone year, years ago and you know i grew up in the church i grew up uh, in a world that kind of told you if you get if you get your stuff together and you know get right with God then you know you can be f- be fulfilled and um, it wasn't quite a Baptist but it wasn't like totally far off from that um, <laughs> and it's funny because like I feel like a lot of people who are in music like reject that and then spend a lot of time just like throwing stones back at that. And it's, it's been fun for me because, like, I feel like the, me and the people I'm close to, we've kind of all grown together kind of in different ways, like, out, out of that, but still in that. And so, you know, I'm still a very, you know, Ellie and I are, you know, definitely committed Christians. Um, but it's it's tricky in today's world. You have to, like, figure out how to how to articulate that without feeling, without without people around you feeling like they have to participate in order to be your friend you know right and and that's definitely not the right. case I and mean, i'd say well over uh you know around half of my friends are either non-believers or 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 you know marginally trying to figure out what it all means you know and so i think mm-hmm. for me that song is written for everybody kind of in the middle you know of that of that reality people who you know relate to it but don't know what to feel about it but you know i think for me honestly i've, I've almost punted the faith a number of times and um, the one thing that keeps me coming back to it is just the idea that, you know, God loved me enough to put flesh on and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of infiltrate this world and live all its pains and its sorrows and then, you know, conquer death, which is, I think, the one thing that none of us will ever do on, you know, on our own accord. And so I think that, that, idea and then and kind of seeing uh, a lot of people around me who kind of subscribe to that world have their lives changed in in a really positive way because of that um element of faith in jesus Mm -hmm. you know is something that makes me not be able to let it go and i and i'm okay with that you know i'm good with that but but the the struggle and the frustration and the feeling like it's it's you know possibly a farce sometimes those are always things that creep in you know but i can't deny what i've what i've seen and experienced personally um kind of through having having faith in, in christ so that's kind of what that song's about and you know i hope it's an encouragement to people and i hope it's you know an invitation to others you know but without without it without it being i'm by no means uh trying to convince anybody to Right to to jump jump on the train that I don't even understand myself. Well, know? I think that's why you wrote the Valley right on the same record. I mean, just feeling completely broken and yeah, and in that in that bottoming out sort of a place, and yet sort of when you're this turtle laying on your back, going, "Okay, I can only look up." Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Help. Yeah, that's a big. I just, you know, I feel like with the faith thing, I just, I want, I want people to know that, 
anybody who has faith, if they're honest about it, they're doing it out of play out of a place of desperation. And it's okay. It's okay. I feel, I feel like I feel like if Christians would just admit that they don't, you know, have all the answers. That they don't have all the answers, and as a matter of fact, the reason they're Christians in the first place is because they know they have a desperate need. Then you know we could all maybe get along with uh, those around us a little bit better, and not make them feel like they're not a part of a club that you know they have to check twenty boxes and change thirty things about their life before they can come come join the join the club. You know, <laughs> so uh, maybe I'm throwing a softball idea out there when it comes to the name of your you know. Drew Holcomb and the neighbors, but you talked about good light being, you know, around the idea of connecting with each other and needing each other, and you're talking about that right now. Is is that why you you use the word neighbors? I mean, it's like we're sort of all neighbors in this big old, you know, eight billion person planet. Somehow we've got to all figure out how we're going to be neighbors, or we're even thinking that far. Uh, um, you know. When we were talking about band names a long time ago, um, at the time we literally were all neighbors, we all lived in the same neighborhood. But then we had to kind of dive into that thought of like, okay, what, but then for the band, what does that mean? For for the neighbors, what does that mean? And I think there's certainly like the idea of of solidarity is a big part of that. Like, yeah, we're all in this thing together. We're all doing the best we can. Right, man. Let's just get, give each other a little bit of patience, a little bit of time, a little bit of space. And, uh, and we'll probably make it through, you know. Is golf really for you a, a way to get away from "quote unquote" it all, whatever that means? Absolutely, it's two things for me. One, it's a way to get away from kind of all responsibilities and just have a minute to, you know. It's it's like probably why the same people why some people like to climb mountains. You know, mm, it's yeah. it's solitary and it's extremely difficult. People who don't play golf think golf is easy. They're so wrong. It's, oh, yeah. it's so hard, and every every part of it. It's just there's, it's one of the only things I've ever done where you have to almost focus just entirely on that. You know, Ellie always comes home and says, "When I come home from golf and play with friends, she said, well, what 'What y'all talk about?'" And I said, "Golf." <laughs> I know that. We talked about our swing. We talked about our putts. We talked about the rough we talked about the group in front of us and that guy's swing and how bad it was we talked about how you crush that ball down the right side of the fairway <laughs> we talked about which wedge to use from 90 yards out we talked about the last time we played golf we talked to, <laughs> we talked about the next time we played golf that's what we talked about She's like, well, how's, how's he, how, you know, how's he doing? Is he still dating that girl? I don't know. <laughs> it's so true. So it's, it's this, so it's true. this like all-consuming uh, four hours that you spend just trying to conquer this thing. And then I really did the camaraderie. I think you know, C.S. Lewis is a great author, and he talks about this book called The Four Loves, and uh, the phileo love is the love of a friend. And he talks about men, and you know this is probably true with women too, but I, I don't know because I'm not one. But in my experience with guys, friendship has to be has to have a medium. You know, like that medium could be golf, it could be whiskey, it could be sports, it could right, be, right. and you can find not that you can only like, and you can find a lot of meaningful connection 
but you have to start with the medium so that you have somewhere to like connect you know and I love that about golf like we just go out there and have a good time and sometimes you know you talk with guys certain guys once you get to once you get to be close enough friends with them you can talk about non-golf things while you're playing but you got to know a guy's like rhythm and the way he plays so you're not messing him up asking him about right. I have one friend you know who is another artist and we play and we actually talk business a lot you know and it's like he's like the only we're like some of the only people that we trust each other to talk about the music business because you you know we know neither one of us wants anything from the other one right you know right and uh right. so anyways yeah i think i think i think it's just uh it's got a lot of it's got a lot of positive aspects about it and then too i just think it's an easy way to get outside you know and, and be at, do something a little bit athletic and it's also too i think every time you make a birdie you think I can. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna play on the Champions Tour. You know? <laughs> Why not? Which is totally, which is totally not gonna happen. But just you know, I think it's. Uh, I think it's. I, I have fond memories of. I played golf with my grandfather at this, you know, nine hole course by his house called Galloway. It's kind of a pretty crummy Muni, actually. Mm-hmm. Not Galloway. Sorry, it's called uh, Overton Park. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it's just a. It's a great way to have camaraderie and, and also have some solitude all at the same time. And I've gotten to the point too where I don't get super, I don't get too frustrated with my game unless I just do something really stupid like, you know, duff a chip or four putt, you know. Yeah, well, and those things happen and, you know, for the most part, just laugh about them afterwards, right? Because that's about yeah. all you can do otherwise. Because I, I, I don't want to put so much, I don't want to invest so much into the game that, I don't love it when I'm 70 and 80, you know? Yeah, yeah. My grandfather played till he was 82. Yeah, yeah. I want to shoot my age up there. Yeah, that would be awesome. Actually, I want to shoot my age when, when, I, when, I'm in, when I get to he the did, 60s. He actually, <laughs> he, he actually did that at Oakland Hills. Did he? When he, was, when he was 78. Oh, wow. What a great track to do that on, huh? Yeah. He must have been a good golfer. He was great. He actually, his claim to fame, and his true story, was in 1942, um... No, 1940, somewhere in there. Um, as a senior in high school, he beat Kerry Middlecoff in the city championship in a playoff. Mm. Kerry Middlecoff went on to win multiple U.S. Opens, a Masters, and uh, captain the Ryder Cup team. And uh, so he was real good. He played. He played college golf, and then he, he, you know, he was he was the guy who always won the member guest, you know, at his country club yeah. back in the day. Yeah. But that was a long time ago. Well, some something flowing through the blood, obviously the Holcomb yeah, blood. He, he was also kind of a cheater. So whoa, yeah, not like bad, but just like he would he would kick his ball a little bit, give it a nice little, give it a better. One of those, or he, you know, if he kind of bully himself and bully his way into getting gimmies from his play, the guys he was playing with. You know, he'd be like a four footer, yeah. and he'd be like, "Oh, son, just throw me that. That's good." You know, and they'd be like. Old man's taking advantage of us. <laughs> Honestly, I know I know this is going to sound stupid, and I've never said this out loud. Is when I decided to play the ball down, I felt like I was a better man, and I mean in general, right? Because that means living your life. In my head, it means living your life to the point of, I'll take what I get, and I'll make the best of it. So, yeah. Unless there's a real, unless there's something you know really muddy around there, and you know it's a really wet th- day or something. Just play the ball down, and other, and I, I let everybody else move theirs around because they want to, you know, because that's yep. and they feel better about it and they have more fun that way too. So why why fight that, you know? Yeah, so, just who I am. Bear Bear from Need to Breathe and I were playing once, and somebody 
who we were playing with um at the exact same time we were both we we'd hit our ball both in this kind of like kind of wettish area that the guy was like oh man just pull it back some and bear just looked at him and he goes hey man we may suck but we ain't we don't cheat right you know <laughs> i'd rather suck than be a cheater <laughs> it's so funny i just it, here's here here's the the interesting thing that'll leave you that we got to say goodbye on because we're going to yap all day about golf <laughs> this is just like golfing yeah. isn't it it's like we're yeah. actually golfing right now without yeah, I feel like, yeah. nice drive but uh i asked alice cooper and this is like a 10 years ago interview because he's a he was a major golfer addict you know and uh he said you know i i think you can tell uh, you go golfing with somebody you can actually tell what type of person they are right and he went into that you know move your ball around and cheat and all that kind of stuff and i went well that's interesting well, anyway, playing, not me playing with Alice, but another couple uh, record industry guys were playing with him and hits it into the bunker on a par three. Takes him four to get out, three putts, right? So you're, what, you're at um, yeah, eight, yeah, eight, right? And he takes a five. <laughs> and they're just like, what is going on, right? I th- so the only way we can write it down is he was just going to his handicap because he couldn't take more than a double. Right. So I figure that, but the dude had eight. <laughs> <laughs> at least right on the scorecard. I mean, you know, when you turn in your score, if you're keeping a handicap, it pulls it down to a five anyway, you know. Because I think he was a pretty serious, I mean, he was a low handicap player, so. Yeah. I mean, he was single digits, but anyway. The it, worst, though, is, the worst, though, is when somebody drops that on you when you're, when you're in competition and they scorecard themselves handicap. Mm. Like that happened with a, a friend. They were really? beating this. They were beating this guy for the first time, and he, and he got a, 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 an eight on a par four. And he's like, well, I can only get a six, so it's a six. And they were like, dude, yeah. this we're beating like, and, and they needed him to count those strokes to help them right. continue to beat, continue to beat right. him. You know, anyways. I love that, and I love this time, man. I can't. I, I'm just happy you took time to do it and yak about it, and yeah, my, and my uh, pleasure. Go go forth with your bag wrapped over your shoulder and. Hit a good seven iron straight into the green and <laughs> beyond in regulation, right? <laughs> from from two from two from two twenty like your son. That'll that'll never happen. I'm still three iron at two twenty. We need to we need to be at a, a a hole where it's downhill in Colorado or something like that. So with, with a big wind, yeah. Have you played in Colorado? Where the ball supposedly uh, flies further? I've played I played one time at the Broadmoor oh, okay. uh, in Colorado Springs, which is where they have the US women's open it's really really cool like resort style course and did you actually find more distance yeah oh yeah really at the time i wasn't hitting the ball very straight so it was kind of hard to know but (laughs) you found more distance way over there (laughs) way over there i did have a uh i mean i did you know at that course we were playing like the blues or something and i did have uh, i got i got i got on a hit a par five green in two um so I, i mean i guess the distance was which isn't normal for me you know so it was probably 500 yards, so I probably was 270 and hit 230. Wow, oh, yeah, right. Made it pretty good. But then I four-putted. Nice, nice. Well, you pulled the bogey out, so nice. Yeah. I don't think there's any way not to like him more after listening in to this conversation. If you haven't already, you've, you've got to check out songs from Drew Holcomb and The Neighbors and start some real listening in. Things that we're concealing We'll never know
Thank you, thank you, thank you for reals. I know you're searching. Don't, don't stop. Keep on scouring lyrics and songs and movies and books and anywhere you can find inspiration. Because, and I know I'm still wrestling with this, you are worthy of love and a great life. Give and get. Listen in and share the goodness. I sign off sincerely, comma, Frank Jenks, questioner, interviewer, searcher, hoper. <laughs>